0: Mindful Self-Indulgence contains adult language, content, and spoilers for the topic at hand. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Hi, I am
2: GlitchCat7, and today we're going to talk about the music of Daniel Johnston.
1: Hi.
0: Uh,
2: how you doing? Hi. You know, you know the the, the best way, honestly, to start out uh, an episode about Daniel Johnston, hi, how are you?
0: Hi, how are you? Yeah, you are coming back to the show, uh, my, I guess, third returning guest on the show uh, after a couple other people.
2: Ooh, legacy.
0: And you wanted to come on and talk about Daniel Johnston.
2: Yeah, um, Daniel... And I, I cut right to the chase on it. Daniel passed away recently on September the eleventh I believe, and uh he wasn't that old and uh I guess in fairly poor health from what I heard and uh it really it hit me in a strange way. It was really really it was a strange day for me because I really, really, really looked up to Daniel and Daniel's music opened a lot of doors for me creatively, mentally, emotionally. And someone here all of a sudden who I never met him. I never saw him. We never knew each other at all whatsoever. We were two ghosts in a big, wide world. And he, you know, here was someone who, despite all that ghosty distance, really got to me and really, really influenced me and really made me feel something, and feel like I wasn't alone, or that I could do certain things at certain times in my life, and I really, really needed that, and it's, I don't know, as it just quotes from Daniel's songs come back to me, right, there's this, it's, it's spooky, it's just spooky, that he was there, and had all this impact on me, and never knew me, I never met him, I never saw him, and he never, never even knew who I was, two strangers, you know, kind of just passing each other,
0: Like ships in the night.
2: Yeah. He had a lot going on just throughout his life. And, um, he really dealt with a lot of things in his mind. Um, he was institutionalized more than once for a lot of different things. And yeah, he, um, you know, would always close his eyes on stage, kind of stand there and shake, or have to stop performances because of having um, a nervous breakdown of some sort. Um, he was apparently schizophrenic, and they um, didn't really know what to do with him in his life. Um, it's it's a it's a big story, but yeah, just just to touch on the the tiny desk performance, you can I think that's something that's really neat about Daniel. Like when you see him play. He's one of those people that commands a lot of attention without really doing much of anything. He's very shy. He's kind of quiet. I had a friend, and this is, I guess, a good story to start out with. um, You know, Daniel, I've seen a lot of people talking about Daniel's music lately and you know giving him respect to how he died and i think that's totally fitting and you know i i don't really want to be one of those like oh this artist that i really like died you know and most of the time i'm like oh that's sad but i wasn't a huge fan of their work and this is like one of the first ones that's come along and spent been like oh gosh like he was my hero um but i had a friend uh he lives in austin and he actually saw Daniel play one time, and uh, you know, not a lot of people are familiar with Daniel's music, so meeting another fan is kind of like a bonding thing. And I was really excited to find out how it was from him. And he he said he closed the he closed down the the shop where he worked at risk of getting fired to go a couple blocks down the street and see Daniel play. And you know, I just asked him how was it, and he the first word out of his mouth, "intimidating." That Daniel comes in. He does his thing. He stands there. Hello, I am Daniel Johnson. He plays his stuff. People just stand in kind of silent reverence. He does his thing. He goes away. That's that's the experience. And uh, this is a friend of mine too who like doesn't get intimidated by much. Isn't you know, isn't a, a small small guy. You know, really ferocious dude. And uh, you know, being in this room with Daniel, who is just quiet and calm and just very powerfully broken he said was was a really intimidating experience and that that kind of it's the closest I've ever got to finding out what his show was you know
0: yeah that it sucks that you never got to experience that live
2: well I've thought a lot about that you know since since he died and since it's I've lost that opportunity and you know the, the I guess the first thing that comes to my head with that like what do you really say what do you really say to someone? You know, if if you could meet, if you could meet your, your famous hero that has lived a life of being a famous hero to many and has had, you know, so many faces in the crowd and so many people come up to them and who is still a person who is like not all put together themselves. What do you say? You know, what do do you say other than just thank you? I love your work. It's been really powerful for me. I wanted you to know that, You, you know, and like that's a good thing to hear from, from anybody. And, you know, someone in that position doesn't get quite sick of hearing it, but still, how do you, you know, how do you touch that? How do you really explain, you know, the words don't seem to do it. Like I thought a lot about that. Like if I could have seen him and met him, what would I say? And in a way it's like, why would you, what do you want out of that? You know, when I meet any of my heroes for, for, Daniel Johnson or, or, or Buckethead or Wayne Gretzky, you know, like what, what, what is my ultimate goal to, with, with telling them all this stuff to, to, to be their best friend, you know, can, can we be best friends now? Can we be in a band? Can we be roommates? <laughs> you, you know, what, like really, like, what is it that, you know, what is it that I want? What am I trying to get out of giving all of that to them? You know, cause even as a streamer, like I, I've had people, you know, come up to me and say things like that, that you know, while you really helped me get through some tough times, or, you know, I really connect with the things you say and the way you present yourself. And I I try to take that all in and, and keep that in my heart and like, give that person that told me that something meaningful and give them like a meaningful portion of my time. And, you know, I can't really imagine how that would be if this were Ten times its size, if I had ten times the people saying that or a hundred times the people saying that or a million in some people's cases mm-hmm. it's it's gotta be overwhelming sometimes, especially if you're not not always in a in a stable feeling mood
0: yeah it it's a lot to put on a person that's a hard thing to navigate because on some level uh like i the last time I think I had this sort of reaction to the death of somebody that I looked up to as a, like a creative individual was when Robin Williams passed away. Yeah. Like that that gutted me. And like there are still days where I see him on TV and I'm like shit, man. And he he dealt with his own mental illness uh, before he left this mortal coil. And I, I don't know what the right answer to that is. I, I don't think anybody really does. But for me, I would rather them know in case they need it in that moment. If if that makes any sense.
2: That makes a lot of sense.
0: I would rather, I would rather be overly taxing on them than to not take that moment to let them know, hey, you did something important and that affected people in a incredibly positive and worthwhile way. Yeah. Because like, I don't know what that person's day is.
2: Well, I I feel like, I mean, when I, I, I've met people that I really looked up to and people whose work I've respected and really, you know, all I have to say is thank you. And that that's pretty much all I've said (laughs) is, is just thank you for that. And, you know, maybe I'm just adding to that, you know, all those other voices that, Come through and tell them that same thing. But for me, it's kind of more about I, despite how I feel. I feel very strongly for certain performers uh, to give someone who's, you know, alive right now who I could go see, who I would really like to go see, uh, Tom Waits. You know, I could um, could go, I could see a Tom Waits performance, and he means all these things to me and has, you know, all these emotions and memories wrapped up with his music. And I could go, I could see him, and I could even, you know, I could meet him, I could shake his hand, I could say... Tom, sir, you know, thank you so much for your music. Really meant a lot to me. I really appreciate it. And I'm not telling him about all the memories of me and my buddy listening to those songs and, you know, the way I got into it and all those, all that other emotional stuff that cascades kind of down when you kind of trigger one of those... You know what I mean? Like, you, you start thinking about some mm-hmm. kind of music or something, and it starts bringing back all those memories. And the tendency is to just, I want to give all of that to you, sir. I mean, you're my hero. Please, it's yours anyway. Please take it. But the idea that, like, I just want to say thank you, I just want to shake his hand, and just whatever he has to give me that day is what I want. I, I don't, what matters, I, I get more out of me being there and seeing it than I would. Giving him anything, you know what I mean. I mean that that's that's the situation. He knows, you know what I mean. And like, even like as an, as a streamer too. Like, I know, I know people out there are really, really passionate about what I'm doing and, and care about what I have to say and stuff. And like, sometimes I can't always give a you know try to reply to everybody or, or acknowledge every single bit of that as much as it deserves. But I do know, and when I give that performance. I'm thinking about all of you, you know, and I'm thinking about everybody out there watching. And I'm assuming Tom and, you know, Robin Williams and our heroes, they're thinking about us. Not you specifically, but they're totally thinking about us. And they're they're up there doing their thing and what they do. And um, I think what, you know, what I would say to someone that was looking at me that way would be, you know, I I put it there for you. I put I put it there for you in my performance, I put it there for you in my work. And maybe you can't give me all of your emotional stuff with that, but I hope that you can get something for yourself. I hope that you can go out and take this and do something for you because I'm all right. I mean, thank you. You you've done more than enough for me by just feeling the way that you feel already. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's great. You know, fan for life, thank you. Uh, that that means the world to me. And I'm thinking of you, so I put some stuff there for you. And I, I feel like that's what they would say, too. So I just try to just absorb that moment, really, just just to really absorb that moment, just to be in the presence of someone, see what they had to say that day, notice something interesting, you know, maybe they just had a, I don't know, had a cool pair of sneakers on or something, you know? And, and like, that's good. <laughs> I'm good with that.
0: Oh, yeah. Being told, if you... If I was talking to one of my heroes and they look down and be like, "Nice shoes, like that's my day's already made, that's cool, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, you know it's you really don't need much, and you know I think those people those people that we look up to and and those people that we get so much out of they they know you know they they put it in there for you and they're th- and they're thinking about you- Sp- you know not specifically, but they're thinking about all the people to whom it matters, you know, and it's like it's confirming to hear that. And that you know that was that kind of goes back to back to Daniel too. You were talking earlier about you know you do you do your things you know you do the podcast and you make things and create things and I do as well. And that was um, you know something to to kind of bring it back to Daniel's work that really attracted me to Daniel's body of work in the first place was he just did it himself. And by did it himself, by do it yourself, I don't mean even like go to a studio or do anything. I mean, he got a tape recorder and he just went into the basement and set it on the table and hit record and played the songs live into the mic on his piano and then went and sold that tape to somebody because that was his album. I mean, that was how direct like his process was. And that removal of all barriers, I think is so empowering. And so I, I always get kind of bummed out when I hear people talk about like, homemade DIY stuff as if it were just a starter block? Like, no, no, no. Like, I know a guy that made masterpieces with just a tape recorder in his garage.
0: Yeah, the... I mean... Audio fidelity is a weird thing for me to try and navigate because I I know that I am at best a hobbyist about things. And I, I know that I have... Maybe with not the... Uh, the most self-awareness said said to you glitch a human being i really wish i could just take your material and make more like studio polished versions of it because i do think you have uh in your Calbunga breakfast stuff go, go to bank and uh download Calbunga breakfast albums at uh, Calbunga breakfast at bank <laughs> and um i i know i've been like there's a greatest hits there that you could put like, higher fidelity versions of Up somewhere, and I think you could have, like, an incredibly banger album.
2: You know, it's, it's sometimes sounds just, like, sterile to me. Or mm-hmm. or it's kind of like in high school, you have, like, I have really long hair and uh, wore, like, baggy clothes and stuff, and that's, like, you're kind of hiding behind that a little bit. That, like, I, I've always thought that if my music, especially the way I sing and the way I play, if it if it's allowed to be clean and just be shown in very direct, very clean light, you're going to see how bad I am, you know? <laughs> and so if I just kind of hide it behind this layer of fuzziness, it makes up for it in the same way that having long hair hides me from my peers in school. Like, it doesn't, but it does, you know? Mm-hmm. But I'm not doing that, I am not. I mean, I'm not into that aesthetic specifically because it, it masks any lack of talent on my part. Um I, I, I do like that for what it is and I have always and and to go back to Daniel again who is the inspiration just for so many things, like, you know, Daniel was the first person I had ever really encountered whose work where he just literally just picked up a tape recorder and started doing it. And I and I kinda had this moment where I just kinda said, Huh, oh yeah, you can just kinda do that, huh? Like, you don't, you don't have to get anything. You don't have to do anything. And so, immediately, like, overnight, in the blink of an eye, my process became as reductive as possible. And <laughs> I just want to make that sound. That, that is really it for me. And I, I feel like that's maybe where Daniel's head was, maybe, is that I don't want to put barriers between myself and and what I'm doing. I just want to sit there, and I just want to make a sound, and like the process of recording, and setting up mics, and equalizing, and doing all this stuff, it just all sounds like nonsense to me, and I'm just like, no, no, no. I just want to turn on that. I just want to hit record, and I want to play, and whatever comes out of that, that's it. That's the way it sounds. And if it doesn't sound right, play it again. Record it a different way, but like, no barriers. And for me, that's always been a really a helpful thing in my process for sure. And I got that directly from Daniel. I don't know. I I, I don't know why. I, I, I guess I really can't say and and this would I guess be a whole other topic would be like, you know, why do some people gravitate towards lo fi kind of sounds? Why do some people prefer polish in music? And uh I really I really can't even say I'm I'm trying to come up with like a like a trying to justify myself at all. I just um I don't know. I, I think sometimes, I think sometimes music is best when it's unexpected, and there's an unexpected quality to lo-fi kind of tape sounds like that, where it's almost like at first you're going what, and then you hear the hook and you go all right, and it's like it's it's like finding a cool baseball card in a junk pile or something. You know, like it's not supposed to be anything good there. It's supposed to just be all fuzzy and gross, but nonetheless, it actually has this kind of quality to it. Like when our band did our album Styrofoam Uniform, which is on YouTube and you can uh, watch it on YouTube if you just search for Styrofoam Uniform from Chessie and the Kittens. Uh, But we made that entirely with tape recorders and VCRs. And the music on the tape, when you listen to the album, that music and the way that sounds sounds a really particular way because it was recorded on tape and it was the room that we were in and i'm like kind of fascinated by that by like room sound and being able to hear the room sound and stuff and like the really particular quality that places give to sounds that's really fascinating to me and i think that some of that gets lost in the polishing process in favor of a clean echo less equalized nice homogenous thing which isn't bad but isn't you know it's sterile it's 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 a hospital kind of thing you know it's got that hospital smell to it
0: as an aesthetic choice like i think that's i think that's totally valid either way uh my problem is when you start ascribing value judgments to the music where like if it has to be hyper polished for it to be worth a damn or if it's going to be sincere it has to be lo-fi and has to be like minimal production
2: yeah no i i I get what you're saying and and you know both of those are are untrue it doesn't have to be lo-fi to be emotionally charged um you know not at all and that's it kind of goes back to something i said before like the the lack of barriers and for some time for some people it's sometimes i think and daniel being one of them and also myself being one of them too uh you, you know i'm sure you can relate as well no 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 mean joke or anything but like shit's expensive man <laughs> you know yeah equipment uh is expensive and totally yeah and and the ability to make your uh your sound really clean and really polished and the knowledge to use all that stuff is not always readily available for people and especially not in i'd say maybe the past 20 to 30 years or so you know daniel was doing his thing in in the like 80s 90s ish and um You know, it was way harder to get that stuff, but what was available was a cheapo tape recorder. And, you know, he would go Mm -hmm. to thrift stores and just get a whole bunch of tape recorders and just set them all out and have them running. And then when he was done playing all the songs off the off the track like he would then have five copies of his album which he would then just put in a paper case and like hand draw the cover on because that's it you know that's all you've got and so for me kind of finding Daniel's music and being like really broke and not really having, you know, much of anything. I had a computer that had a CD burner on it and it had a microphone plugged mm-hmm. in and I could get a tape recorder and some blank tapes from the thrift store and I could get a spindle of blank CDs and some paper. I could fold up the paper and I did. My my original albums for years, uh, every single one of them came in uh, a case that was just folded out of paper and I just drew any cover on it, just drew pictures or tape things to it or, like, whatever, and you would just get these, like, kind of individualized... Albums and uh, people still hang on to those. Actually, my friend just texted me recently a picture of one of my original run albums from 2011, and I'm like really surprised anybody has it. But again, that's just because, like, yeah, I might have liked to have made it more polished. Might have liked to have real cases or invest money in a production run. But I don't have that at all. And <laughs> I, you know, I think I think we could both agree. Everything, almost everybody could agree that you know sometimes the 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 most sincere, brilliant. And interesting people are people of little means. And Mm -hmm. I like lo-fi music and DIY music because it helps me hear voices from those people specifically. And Daniel, you know, was definitely one of those people, if not like, you know, kind of leader of the lunch table of those people for a while. Just doing it himself because, you know, he either didn't have, couldn't figure out how to use the stuff, didn't know how to use it, didn't have the money. He did. He made what he could with what he had. And I think that's so important in art, you know, whatever you have. And if that's a big studio, cool. If that's a tape recorder, cool. But, you know, you talk about value judgments and I think you're right on that. But at the very least, like I like to consider both of those things on equal footing some homemade tape that Mm -hmm. some guy on the street that seems crazy handed me and said, here's my album. I'm going to be just as stoked for as a new album for my favorite band that sounds all good. You know, they're just, they're just two different realms. Music is this world of many rooms to me, you know?
0: For sure. And I, there's definitely something to be said as lo-fi as Praxis in terms of, it's, uh, I mean, Daniel Johnston isn't a folk singer, but that's like, that's the like a sort of folk tradition. Is like this, just like a dude in his guitar, making these cheap recordings, peddling yeah. it to whoever will listen, singing about the culture that immediately surrounds you. Yeah, and commenting on it.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I am, you know, through Daniel uh, again, so many things in 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 my personal kind of art lexicon and in the way my inspirations got shaped. So many things go back to Daniel, but. Uh, you know, I, I I make it a mission to go out and look for homemade stuff. I love that kind of thing. It's super interesting to me because it's like I said, it's voices that you would not otherwise get to hear, lives and experiences, and creative lenses and stories that just do not exist otherwise. And so, if I'm at uh, no, you never know. Just always kind of looking. If I'm at a thrift store and I look at, you know, I found a couple of CDs that were from homemade bands, you know, printed off the computer, Xeroxed or whatever. I, if I'm in it anywhere <laughs> and I see homemade, uh, homemade tape, a homemade CD, I will buy it like immediately. I don't care what it is. I'm always really, really interested in that kind of stuff. And I actually have a huge archive that I've maintained since I was in high school um, of just Local recordings, homemade recordings, bands that have came through town, friends that made, you know, a couple paper sleeve copies of their album on CDR, tapes of of practice sessions and early demos and stuff of garage bands. Like, I'm the one guy in the local area that saved every single bit of that. Because at, like, 15, I'm like, you know what? I want to have this. I want to have this around to listen to. Even if it's bad, right? We got this one. This is really (laughs) funny. We got this CD... um, from this group of kids uh, in Connecticut one time on a show on the road. And um, I think their band, what were they called? I think they were called the Unposse. They were like a ska band. (laughs) And their album was uh, a CD inside a paper bag that had been folded up and taped. And it was called Throw This Demo Away. Well, I kept it. We could listen to it (laughs) right now. (laughs) And it's like, maybe this, you know, maybe it's for no reason, but I've always, I've always been uh, sort of an archivist and a a collector of things, not necessarily relics or or rare things other than video games, but just a, a collector of, of mementos and experiences and little, little art and things, people, drawings that people have made me, I've saved them. And like, I don't know, that whole thing just ties so much into Daniel's music because he just, no one told him to do that. That was, that was essentially his idea. It wasn't necessarily original. He wasn't the first person to do that, but he just was that type of person that just said, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to pick it up and do it. And I'm going to do whatever I want. And I'm going to make my own thing. And I'm going to color on whatever I want and tape it to a thing. And that's art. And like, he just believed that so much that he like made it real. You know, he, he, he velveteened Velveteen rabbited all these <laughs> tapes and things together into, like, real gold. Real, real stuff. And that's some magic kind of alchemy that, like, I don't think everyone's capable of pulling off.
0: Yeah, and he, like... I feel like he definitely had a leg up because there was that whole thing with, like... People became aware of Daniel Johnston and like, the greater lexicon of music history because Kurt Cobain wore a t-shirt one time
2: yeah yeah, he wore the uh, the, the hi how are you hi how are you t-shirt
0: like so yeah I think he definitely put in the time and like he definitely worked to make like a thing that he like really believed in and he kind of like willed that career into existence in like a small way but also he got incredibly lucky that Kurt Cobain wore one of his t-shirts on TV one time yeah. So like that's a hard thing to also try to navigate cuz I absolutely don't want to take away what Daniel Johnston pulled off and he has so many fucking records dude. I was looking through uh like just just casually looking through a discography and like he's been doing it for so long that like there's just There's just so much of it. Yeah. And he, like, never really stopped making it. Never. Even if he took little breaks in between.
2: Well, little breaks, i.e., he was, like, I mean, I don't know how much of Daniel's story you know, but, like, little breaks as in he was institutionalized for quite a while. He was on heavy medication for quite a while. Little breaks as in he physically could not, like, physically was not able. That was, like, the only time he ever stopped. Not to be a downer. Yeah.
0: (sighs) Yeah. No, no, uh, uh, that's that's just part of the that's just part of it. Yeah, and he like, that, I mean,
2: have you seen the documentary? Or do do you know about the documentary?
0: I know that there is a documentary called "The Devil and Daniel Johnston," and it is about his struggles yeah. with mental
2: illness. It's it, it it's his it's about his his story and about you know Daniel. It's it's kind of just chronicles his life and and his adventures. I was into Daniel's music before. I ever saw the documentary. Um, it was actually kind of mysterious, and it was something that I searched for for, a, for quite a while before um, a cousin of mine actually wound up burning me a copy. And um, it, it was so, it's so powerful. It's honestly, and I've heard people say, you know, irrespective of, of Daniel and his music, it's just one of the most, powerful, best music documentaries in general out there about a musician or about an artist. Uh, it's really well made first of all and to get a picture of his life through that documentary um, really I don't. Know, it, it's a very intense experience um, like, like I, I could mention a couple of the, the stories from it if you kind of want more of a picture of, of who Daniel was like as a person.
0: Oh by all means, that's why this show exists
2: Daniel, and, and and keep in mind, this is, I didn't, you know, I never knew him, and this is just my, my retelling of his events, maybe inaccurately in some cases, and also kind of my interpretation of what he had to go through, um, you know, s- just strictly from uh, 15 or so years of being a, a real dedicated fan of his work. So, you know, obviously take that with a grain of salt. Um, or, you know, I may be slightly inaccurate about this or that, but Daniel, um, you know, was, and, and, and I'm kind of recounting the documentary just kind of through the narrative. Uh, was a really, really bright kid, but his, uh, home life was not ideal. His parents were strict, religious kind of folks and were very down on him. Uh, his mom in particular, uh, comes up a lot in his music and in his art, um, really getting down on him. And the you know the, it seems to be the typical you're a lazy bum, art is stupid. You're never going anywhere with those stupid drawings. Why don't you never have any sense? You need to get up. You need to get real. You need to um, need to understand that the you know life isn't all fun and games and this and that. And Daniel is the type of person that seems to have really had a very intense deep relationship with the things in his head from a very, very young age. And at school he was super bright and everybody liked, he was artistic, but he really got obsessed with a girl and things started to spiral for him in a, in a really tough way. He, um, like I said, he was schizophrenic and that started manifesting as he entered college uh, in his late teens, early twenties. And things got weird um things got really weird there was a the, the story that i was i was getting to to kind of give you a picture of how serious things were for daniel and in his brain his uh his father was a pilot and he was um this was later on in his career uh he had got some notoriety and was playing some shows and it had been institutionalized a few times and this and that and um I believe that in the, in the documentary they talk about, um, he thought he was Captain America. They were flying back in a little, little two-seater plane from a show, and his father was looking out for Daniel because he was, at that point, kind of not capable of doing his own thing on his own without running himself into some kind of trouble. And um, Daniel, for some reason, thought that he was Captain America, and so he pulled the key out of the ignition of the plane and threw it out the window. And he and his father had to crash land and barely survived. Um, And that was Daniel. And I believe from from what I managed to gather about the incident, Daniel kind of thought he did a good thing. That he was, I don't know, reading a Casper the Ghost cartoon and thought he was Casper or thought he was Captain America. And in his mind, there was a literal... War going on between the forces of good and evil, Satan and the devil and things like that factor heavily into his work. Um, Religious iconography as well. A lot of his songs sound like hymns and into this is wrapped up. Casper the Ghost and a lot of cartoon and comic book characters that he liked and things like the you know, references from the Beatles and rock and roll music and then all of a sudden you introduce someone like that who's got all that going around in his head, kinda of schizophrenic, and you introduce him to the world of like the butthole surfers and yeah, he kinda of snapped. He kinda of just, you know, never came back from his uh from his journeys, but he kept putting out these amazing songs you know every single time his music is as lucid as ever and you know even though he's really far gone it's like he's able to stand in the face of all that and stare at it and transcribe it accurately and bring it back for us um i had been reading some reddit and some twitter comments about people posting about his death and um, you know, someone mentioned how his his pain was a was a mirror for us. That out of all the people who were so tortured as he was inwardly, who saw their life as this bizarre, I- incredible struggle between the forces of good and evil and light and darkness. Um, the the song where he talks about seeing himself in the woods and speaking with Satan and all these incredible things that. Out of all the people who were so tortured, Daniel was very particular in that he could transcribe it really well and really accurately and bring it back for us in no uncertain terms to hear and see and feel exactly what he's trying to show us. And that's a really rare thing, I think. For sure. There's a, there's songs. Um, I, I guess I, I could I could drop a couple of songs um, that, that I think, would be interesting if if people that are listening would like to kind of get an idea of, of where he was at. Um, Story of an artist is a really, really good song um, talking a lot about how, how he felt about, about his life um, growing up and about his family and the way they really discouraged him. Um, Held the hand, I think is the name of the song where he talks about the things he had to go through in his career. um, And um, don't play cards with Satan. A really, really kind of weird song where he um, talks about a lot of his visions, but so many of it's just it's cool because well, it's cool. That's the wrong word for it, but it's just compelling to me because, like, I've flirted with madness, but I've never, I've never gotten eaten by it through luck Mm -hmm. or fortitude or probably luck, um, more than likely luck, and you know to kind of to look into Daniel's world, you kind of, you get to safely peer over that edge and look into what, what it's really like when it grabs you. And, um, you know, that's, it was really rough for Daniel, but I think he knew that he was bringing that back for people in a, in a really important way.
0: Channeling your own sort of struggles through whatever your art is, it's just kind of part of, for the, better or worse part of art as a whole it seems like that just seems to be like a thing artistic people do yeah like very rarely do you have somebody who's just like I'm just gonna write I'm I'm just gonna write songs about butterflies and rainbows and everything's gonna be great and uh so I mean the way I try to think about that is As somebody who, I don't deal with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, but, like, I have ADHD, and that's a really minor thing for a lot of, like, that you may hear and think that's, like, a minor thing. Or I have, like, an anxiety disorder, and people may think that's, like, a minor thing. But it still comes out in all the things that you produce. And uh, I can't speak for Daniel Johnston, but... As somebody else who creates things and does suffer with mental illness, there's a catharsis to it. There's a therapeutic kind of nature to getting all that shit out um, and putting it out there. And that you hope that in that process, and I know it's true because you're sitting here talking to me about Daniel Johnston, other people see themselves reflected in that, and then they get that sort of catharsis. They can get that shit off their chest just by participating and engaging with the media that somebody else produced about their own experience, not even thinking about how it's going to affect other people or how they're going to latch on to it.
1: Yeah,
2: Yeah, Daniel was such an inspiration for me because I found his music at a rough time, probably the lowest time in my life. It was bad. And Daniel was so... so... What what am I looking at? He's so honestly broken, you know. He he really is just not afraid to stand up on that stage and be his broken self. He uh, he crashed a festival, I believe, in Austin one time, and he he wasn't invited on the the bill to play the thing, but there's a recording of it on YouTube and it's it's one of my favorite songs by him because <laughs> he he basically just jumped up on the stage and played this song and um, it's I Live My Broken Dream and that's it. I mean, that that's the catchphrase right there and that's Daniel, he lives his broken dream. And I don't mean, when I think about that, and I don't know how he meant it, but when I think about that, I, I never thought that it was broken like... Like into dust, into into pieces, or as glass would be broken. I always felt to me it always meant glitchy, <laughs> like a game is broken. Uh, like it works, it it'll play, but uh, it's a little broken. And um, you know that was that I live my broken dream. That my dream isn't a straight line. It's not a plan. It's not a straight arrow. It's this kind of weird amalgamate of things that I'm both trying to exercise and celebrate. Not the same thing, but I have things I'm trying to exercise for myself. I have things I want to celebrate about the world. I have things I want to say. I have things I see. I have things that I'm into. I have things that I'm not into at all. And that all of this has to work together in some kind of ball and get me somewhere. And, um, you know, Daniel was so unafraid to do exactly that, to, to jump up on the stage there and in front of all those people where he you know didn't even belong, he just was there and he was here to say, I live my broken dream. And he was so unafraid of being broken in front of people and of letting people see that. And that was really, that, that MO was really, really inspiring to me. And I think some of my best songs I've ever written owe that lineage to Daniel of just it's okay. Let them see it. Take, take, take that one out (laughs) that you're not willing to share. Take that out. Put that one. That's the one show them that one, you know, get as deep as you can into yourself as much as you're willing to say. And Daniel really, you know, he went to the very depth of himself to bring back things from the very depth of himself to show to, to us. And, you know, when I saw Daniel do that, you know, I kind of just turned around and said, okay, like, okay, you know, Daniel laid that gauntlet down. He laid it down. He laid, you know, he maxed out the score. He got to the very end. He got to the, the, as deep as you can go into yourself and he brought something back. And so like, okay, like that's the challenge now. That's 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 the bar. That's the, um, not that if it's not that it's not honest, but just you're allowed to go that far that Daniel <laughs> gave me permission to go that far he already did it he was willing he jumped in first and they laughed you know they laughed at him and they they said things about him and that's all right and you know actually everybody's really kind to me <laughs> nobody was mean about my music and uh like i didn't go as far with it as him obviously but it wasn't it's not that in order to be so deep you have to go that far it's just that daniel gave mm-hmm. me permission and that i needed that permission i need someone else to I needed to find someone else who was like even like you know probably more messed up than me I you know when I think of you know I, I was like I said I never fell I never got ensnared forever by the madness that, that got Daniel and I, I can't presume that our situations would be similar you know in, in that regard but there's there's a lot of relatable feelings there
0: yeah for sure I uh, it's that permission to be vulnerable which I think is the right word is uh nothing short of life changing whenever you you feel like you have that permission like regardless of the circumstance but Absolutely. especially in artistic pursuits to be like oh wait i can i can just like i i don't have to bottle that up like i can put that out there and not only are people not going to like judge me for that but that that piece of humanity that they're afraid to be vulnerable about they can latch onto that as well yeah Is, i'm like when people, like, I, I don't want to get all, like, hot topic-y button, music saves lives, but, like, I I don't know if I would be here without some of the music that I've experienced in my life. So, I, I feel like we talked about this last time whenever you're on, too, but, like, I was in the hospital last year, the early part of last year, and I barely weighed 100 pounds. And... I... Uh, and and my legs stopped working. And I didn't have any energy in my body to do... Like, to even get to a bathroom. Like, and uh, my room is right next to the bathroom in my house. And I had to be carried to the door. Like, I had to be carried to the car, and then from the car to the, into the hospital, and put in a wheelchair to move. Like, I could not... I had no energy in my body to do anything. And... While I, like, after moving several hospitals and having several scares about it being something way worse than what it ended up being, uh, I'm lying in a hospital bed in Oklahoma City, and The Wonder Years put out a song called Pyramids of Salt. And, like, I just, I wept in that hospital bed because it hit me so close to home, like, by myself in the middle of the night in the hospital. And, yeah. but like that, that moment helped, helped me exercise all of that pent up, like all that shit that I had internalized and tried not like tried to be strong through that whole thing. And like, I felt like in that moment they said, no, it's cool. You need to like, you need to breach this catharsis. You need to let it out. Yeah. And that made me stronger the next day. Like that helped me reorient myself to the situation because like that shit just has to come out, guys. Like you can't and and for an artist to give you that permission, like you said, for lack of a better term, is an incredibly healing experience.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you need someone to open open the, the gate to, to to give you permission to go in because they already did it. And uh, I don't know, a lot of times I think people that end up being those permission granters are not necessarily aware that they're doing it or it happened in a roundabout way for them. They didn't necessarily set out to do that. They just did what they were going to do and like mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting because you, you know, like we I think we all have that. No, I don't know if we all, that's kind of generalized, but I think that people people who make things, people who make music, people that make art, people that are publicly visible at all um you know we have an opportunity to be that validating force for somebody else and you it's like the kind of thing that like i don't know if you can do it consciously it's just if i've always felt that like if i can just remove barriers again to to bring up that whole phrase just to remove barriers between myself and what I make or myself and my audience or myself and what I'm trying to do, then I could maybe work on being that kind of a force somewhere for for something else. There's something that someone else is afraid to do, but if I did it first, they might not be afraid to do it anymore. I'm not sure what that is, but it's, you know, I've, I've had that given to me. I've had, I've had a door like that opened for me in my life, and, you know, I'm looking around for who's next in line.
0: And the act of, like, exercising those own demons. Like, you're exercising other people's too, even though that's not the point. Like, even though it's for you. And I think that, like, whenever it's performative, whenever it becomes a thing where, like, you feel like somebody's trying to specifically accomplish that without there being that rawness, that closeness, that vulnerability, that authenticity, uh, like, you can feel that. You can feel that disconnect, whereas if you're just going in there to create something because, like, that's the, like, you need to make that thing. Like, that's a thing that, like, your body wants to get out of it.
2: Yeah, and I don't know, too, I mean, you know, Daniel did, as an artist, you know, we've kind of got this picture of him that, he only made his stuff to exercise his own demons, and he even wrote about that in, in one of his songs. You know, something like when I'm, you know, let it let it be said when I'm dead. He got those demons out of his head. You know, he also did want to be famous, and I don't know <laughs> how much that messed with him. I I, I wonder if perhaps he like. His head got into this weird space where like, he did get some kind of mystical fame, but it came at a price and he sold his soul or something. You can really easily get sucked into those Mm -hmm. rabbit holes of madness, kind of believing that the world is really magical all around you and vast and incredible and powerful forces are sort of conspiring and you're at the center of their vision. It's really easy. like I've been to places like that too, but he definitely did want to To be famous and to be like the Beatles and to to get out there and stuff, and I I often wonder if maybe, you know, that conflicting desire between being famous and getting exercising his demons, if that was ever a conflict for him, or if he ever felt that he signed some kind of contract with the devil in order to get the the success and fame that he had. It's it's difficult enough to be relatively sane and get some amount of success let alone to be in command of a big imaginary headspace where it's a lot more serious than everybody else thinks it is like he had a contract Daniel did while he was institutionalized um it was the same record label as Metallica. That's Roadrunner, or at least was at the time, right? I, be- I think it was Electra. Electra, okay. It, w- it was Metallica's label. And they and his agent, who worked tirelessly for him, um, had a contract for Daniel that was, I mean,. Perfect. It was perfect. I would love this contract. He didn't have any touring obligations. He didn't have necessarily any obligations to release material. It was really in his favor. It was like anybody would have loved this contract. And that was it. Like, Daniel could sign the contract, and he could be set. Really, really set. He walked away from it. He walked away because he thought that Metallica was in league with Satan. And he walked away. And, boy that's rough you know and it's like i mean obviously like understatement of the century right but in his head he he didn't he couldn't do that he couldn't go through with that because his mind and the visions he saw and the things that he thought were so incredibly powerful that he could ditch on the perfect contract the 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 culmination of all his work and he could ditch on it because he was just that ensnared by his own visions
0: yeah, for sure. And like the like that Metallica being satanic is a thing I grew up with in yeah. fundamentalism. So, like I get that perspective and then to throw schizophrenia on top of that. Yeah. Like I like I already thought this was real life. I already thought that like the devil was using Metallica. Like that's that was my childhood. That's like the environment I was raised in. Yeah. And then to be schizophrenic on top of that. And have to contend with like voices and like auditory or visual hallucinations, of all these things that you're internalizing about the world that uh, are likely not true. I think that's an even-handed way of saying that. Yeah. Uh, is like I can't imagine, man. I like I.
1: Yeah,
2: that's something I always I had wonder. to be incredibly rough. And and if you watch the documentary, and I, I didn't. I'm actually kind of glad that you weren't super familiar with Daniel's work because a lot of conversations about Daniel end up at his parents. And I didn't want to spend a lot of time on this because I feel like it's tangential, especially considering his recent passing. Um, what's more important is his body of work and, and the life that he lived and the things he tried to show people. But I do always wonder if he, how different it would have been for him if his parents wouldn't have been very strict Very fundamentalist, very controlling. Um, And I I wonder too how, you know, I would have been different if my parents wouldn't have been lenient, understanding, willing to let me do my own thing, have my own passions, didn't necessarily get down on me for, you know, wanting to play guitar. I mean, yeah, they're not, they don't really care, but at the same time, they're not coming into my room and yelling at me, telling me that I'm going Mm -hmm. to hell because of what I'm doing, or telling me, you know, things like that, that I'm, you know, I I don't really want to get into that too much because i know that's that's you know something that you came from as well and i I know that's emotionally powerful but you know i I always wonder how different things might have been for daniel if he would have had more support and he talks about that in uh the song story of an artist um listen up and i'll tell a story about an artist growing old some would try for fame or glory others aren't that bold you know everyone in friends and family saying hey get a job we don't really like what you do why are you so odd you know that's that's it that's just like right there on that line where he's just one to one taking that frustration that he feels and turning it into his art and i wonder how much of his art i wonder how much of the genesis for his art was made in spite of his parents <laughs> like just because you know they said he can't do that so he's obviously going to do that more like he obviously had some some genuine heart and passion he really followed that he was for real about it but i wonder if if he would have had more support from his parents, if maybe he wouldn't have reacted so violently, you know, or, or been so angry about it and done it out of that kind of, well, you say I, I'm not gonna, but I'm gonna do it anyway. You'll see. I'm going to be the best artist, the biggest explosion, the best musician. Yeah. You're telling me I'm nothing right now, but you wait and see, you know, I wonder, I wonder how much of, life would have been different for him if he wouldn't have had that particular force in his early years.
0: Yeah. That's, that's not an easy knot to untie that in trying to determine like the, how, how much any of us would have changed trajectory had our environment been differently.
2: Yeah. It's one of those, you yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's one of those things that, you know, it's a, it's a purely hypothetical kind of, kind of question, but it just really, like, I remember I remember when I was going through some rough times. And it was, like, 2012, 2011-ish, I think, and um, mm-hmm. I actually I sent my mom. I, uh, I texted my mom uh, a link to Story of an Artist, and she listened to it, and she texted me back later, and she was something like, and I, I'm paraphrasing, but, like, for the first time ever, she said she really understood what that felt like. Because she was never, you know, very artistic, was never, you know, eccentric like me. She's she's pretty pretty down to earth, pretty square, but lovable, of course. Mom stuff. <laughs> and uh, I love you, Mom, <laughs> if you ever listen to this podcast. But, um, you know, she, she um, said that even for her, that was the first time that she had really felt what that feels like, the way Daniel described it. And that was just such a strength of his, I think, to be able to bring... Bring those feelings back into really understandable language for people that might not have ever got it. Like and I always wonder if maybe he was he had a lot of things. He had a lot of lot of problems. but I wonder if maybe he was trying to talk to his parents sometimes, trying to ask them for things that he couldn't ask them for. But he was also very um very obsessed with a girl that didn't really know didn't, you know, wasn't interested in him, didn't really know who he was. Love and the pursuit of romantic love was, um, quite a thing for him. Although he never, I don't think he was ever creepy. I don't think he was ever a stalker. I don't think he was ever incel-ish to, to use an ugly word. (laughs) Sure. Um, he put it into his art. You know, he wrote so many songs about her or about the, you know, that the woman in the song, the love in the song is about her, um, You know, and she even says, like, she inspired so many songs. And I think, like, it was one of those things where he just, he got kind of lost. Really, you know, really, really lost somewhere. Puberty is tough, man. Puberty is rough. (laughs) Yeah. And if you're... Puberty is rough. Yeah. and, And, you know, and I remember being, you know, back in high school and things when, like, you would read so much into everything. I did that, at least, in high school. You know, you read into everything. Every little thing that some girl, you know, if she says... Hi to you and smiles like, oh, she has a crush on me. Oh, it must be true love. You know, you read into everything. And I think that like Daniel kind of got stuck in that mode and didn't ever find a way out of that, unfortunately.
0: It's gross to like go, oh, a woman gave me even an ounce of attention. That must mean she loves me. Or like, I love this person because they gave me even an ounce of attention. And, like, there's a lot of ways to try and unpack that. Like, it's sad that, like, he felt like he needed, like, that he wasn't receiving validation to that. like, even those, like, small amounts of, like, human compassion were read that way by his brain uh, and have been by my brain. Again, puberty's a hell of a drug. Yeah. But also, like, that's not fair to put on that other person. That's not, that's not to make your problems a, a new problem for them not even yeah. your problem is their problem it's just like an entirely other problem
2: and the, and, the, and this is where it just it gets to the point where it's just i have i have no i have no excuse or reason for his behavior but i in, in daniel's case and I, I don't think you're saying otherwise but like to point out that like in daniel's case i mean he was kind of unhinged it was it was at the point where you know yes these are these are logical concrete reasons and things and and Daniel slipped beyond the reach of such arguments and that's that's where you know that was his home base that was where he lived he for through a combination of factors for whatever reason he slipped and those types of things couldn't get him anymore um, the whole hi how are you thing was, um, I guess they, there was a funeral at the funeral home where she, her family worked or something. She, she worked at a funeral home. And so this kind of crossed over with Daniel's sort of death obs- obsession, that the only way that she would ever look at you if is if you die and you're laying in a coffin in the funeral home. And he said, hi, how are you to her? And that was like all they ever said. And she just, you know, said hi because he was a casual acquaintance and, um, That, you know, just kind of, like, destroyed him, and that's the album Hi, How Are You, and that's, like, like, it became such a big thing for him, and that was, like, kind of how his brain worked. It, like, wrapped everything up in this deep metaphorical significance, and I'm, like, way beyond making justifications or anything, but just... For sure. He's an interesting mind to get into um you know because he he never behaved in a weird way i've never heard any stories daniel johnson you know touched someone inappropriately or got really creepy or started sending messages or calls or any of that classic creepy behavior i think he was more more on the other side of that where it was all it was all part of this big cosmic drama that was playing out with him involved in it, where God and angels and devils and demons and everything were all coming out. And he had these characters in his comics, like Joe the Boxer, who would fight monsters. And like, he had a whole comic world of all his like inner thoughts. And he made these characters for himself, and there was. There was the 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 lady that like was the woman that he loved, but she was like an abstract. And it, it's I, I'm getting to the point where I'm just like, just watch the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> it makes a lot more sense when you see it. Uh, the documentary is called, if, for those interested, it's The Devil and Daniel Johnston, and uh, I believe it's available online. It's uh, it's not not difficult to to get a copy of it. Yeah, I w- I would really recommend it. I would I would absolutely recommend it. It's um. It's it's just a very powerful story, and it really it really brings you into Daniel's world and lets you take Daniel's journey from his perspective. And that's it's it's so it's like aside from just the topic matter, it's just a really well made documentary, and it has a lot of heart. It presents the events without condemning, you know, and that's mm-hmm. I think is tricky to do sometimes.
0: So definitely check out the Devil and Daniel Johnston. Uh, I I'm gonna try and track that down because. It uh, sounds fascinating.
2: It's. I, I think it's worth a watch. I think. I think for anyone that's interested in just art and music, anyone who might feel a little bit broken in their own lives, or you know, have gone through a struggle like that, or know someone who has, it's. It's a. It's a powerful documentary, and it's also one of those ones that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have a happy ending. It doesn't have a bad ending, but it's. It's neither. It's. It presents the events of his life in such a way that his work and what it means can be placed into a larger context. And he put it all there. Like, like we talked about earlier, he put it all there for us in, in his music. He put everything there and he was aware of that. And he tried. In fact, I think he just drove himself crazy because he was, he had to do that. He, he needed to do that. He was compelled and, you know all all his ideas, all his love, all his fears and pains and hopes and joys. It was there. He put it. He put it there for us. And um, you know the documentary is just a good way to have a have an off ramp into that world. Mm-hmm. Also, his art. We didn't really touch on it much, but he was a, a really remarkable uh, visual artist. He, I guess, could be best described as like outsider kind of feel. Um, he drew some strange stuff, but. Uh, yeah, he he was very um, towards the end of his life. He actually produced um, Space Ducks, the comic book to go along with the Space Ducks album, which is really good, actually.
0: I saw that whenever I was skimming through his discography earlier.
2: Yeah, I th- I think if I'm not mistaken, that actually might have wound up being his last album. I don't know if because um, new D- that was only a couple of years ago. We were like, "Yo, new Daniel Johnston," and uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if he put out anything after Space Ducks. I, b- I bet there may be some uh, some more recordings and compilations that will surface now, which I'll be right. I'll be happy to hear. And, you know, it's it's always a little bit you you don't want to be. Nobody wants to be a hipster. Even hipsters don't want to be hipsters because that's too cool. But uh, you know, <laughs> like I don't want to be the guy that was like, oh, I listen to Daniel Johnson's music. Forever, and you guys are just coming in just because he died. Like I'm happy that his music can get that kind of an audience, and <laughs> in this, you know, I'm willing to just let everybody do that, and I don't want to call people out on that because I'm happy to hear more material, you know. And it, and if this, as sad as it is, if this creates a bigger surge of interest in Daniel's work and helps other people get to that place that he helped me get to, that's cool. Come on in, everybody. You know, I, I don't, I don't ever want to be be the the guy that wears my fandom as a as a badge of credibility, you know,
0: yeah, gatekeeping's bad kids don't don't fucking do that shit that's just that's gross that's just gross agreed but yeah we we talked about his movie we talked about mental illness, we talked about his roots, we talked about visual art is there anything that you wanted to talk about concerning Daniel Johnston that we haven't talked about so far
2: um no, I, I think I think we covered all the bases, and I, I think this would also be a good introduction uh, for someone else that you know might have heard some of these ideas and heard some of these stories and would want to find out more about him. Um, I always recommend Daniel's music to people. Uh, it, it it can be a little bit of an acquired taste, and um, it, you you kind of do have to get through. Some pretty strange stuff. I mean, you know, he would do acapella songs that he has one called King Kong. He went on for five minutes acapella, just more or less singing the story of King Kong. And it can be a little bit tough to navigate through some of that. Um, I would recommend, you know, some of the songs that we've mentioned Live My Broken Dream, um, uh, Casper the Friendly Ghost is a really nice one. Um, and a lot of stuff from like Yip Jump music, some of his earlier albums. Hi, how are you? The album is really good. Don't be scared. A lot of Daniel's music is also available on YouTube, so you can just go and listen to it for free. Um, it's it's there. A lot of his art is also uh, online. You can go and check out his artwork. Um, you know, Daniel's music just had such a profound effect on me and, and still does to this day. And I, I would kind of like that to never stop and um you know like like we talked about before if you can be that one to be the permission granter for other people just by virtue of of doing your thing as hard and as passionately as you feel you can i think that's a very worthwhile cause for just about any artist and it's something that i try to live up to myself in in my own even just dancing at MMC and getting everybody else to dance. Just something. If you can be that one to do that, I think it's worth it. And I think Daniel, you know, Daniel's story really ultimately shows us that fact that it's worth it. And I think he would say the same thing.
0: For sure. That's, a, that's a, Those are good final thoughts. <laughs> Absolutely great final thoughts. Good job. You killed it, kid. God, oh, thank If that's all you have to say about Daniel Johnston... Then it's time for the speed round. We do the speed round. It's time to do the speed round, guys. We're going to do a speed round. Mm. Woo. And it, it's just what it sounds like. It's just me asking questions and you answering them quickly. And some of these I have jotted down over the course of our conversation. And some of them have been decided beforehand.
2: All right. That makes sense? Let's go. Speed right.
0: round. What's your favorite Daniel Johnston song?
2: I Live My Broken Dream or Cast With a Friendly Ghost.
0: You play, you play both of those. These are both good choices. I do. If you could see Daniel Johnston do a crossover or a collaboration with another artist prior to having shuffled off this mortal coil, what would it have been?
2: Oh, gosh. Well, um, after his passing, I actually discovered that Tom Waits, of all people, did a cover of King Kong, and that was pretty cool. Um, gosh. I mean, he did a collaboration album with Jad Fair called It's Spooky that was pretty good. Um... Boy, that's a tough question. You know, you know who honestly comes to mind, and maybe this is just more of a, of, of a pairing than anything. But um, John Darnielle from the Mountain Goats, I think. Uh, I think a Mountain Goats Daniel Johnson collaboration would have been Earth Shattering. Oh,
0: that. W- yeah, that would have been good. That. Yeah, that's the correct answer. I didn't know there was a correct answer until now, but that's the correct answer.
2: Yeah, and I will say the correct answer was not Neutral Milk Hotel. Sorry, Neutral Milk Hotel fans, wasn't the correct answer. Mountain Goats was. (laughs) Oof.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, What would you say is the most meaningful moment for you involving Daniel Johnston?
2: Well, I think I played one of Daniel's songs at the show where I met my wife. I don't know if that was the most meaningful moment, but his music was there in that moment for me in my life. I, um, you know, I remember the first time I, um, I, I was sitting in my apartment. And I had my little crappy guitar with me, and I, you know, I had actually just found Daniel's music. Like my friend had just said, "Oh, you should uh, listen to you know, listen to Daniel Johnson, listen to Daniel Johnson." And I finally did, and I, I, I stumbled across Casper the Ghost. And at first, I was like, "Wow, like this guy's really good." Like, I don't know if I could ever be that good. And then I saw a video of him playing it, and I looked at the chords, and I'm like, "Oh, that's a G and a C. I can play this. I can play this." <laughs> and I and I ran and I got my guitar, and I seriously, I sat down in my apartment and I started playing it. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, like I can do this. I can do this. I can do this." And I don't know. That was like a moment, you know. And I've always played Casper since then. Like, it's just one of those songs.
0: And finally, uh, for anyone listening to this who has checked out Daniel Johnston's work and said, that was, that was pretty rad, I like this dude's stuff, that's pretty cool, man, that's that's pretty tubular, that's radical, that's awesome, I don't know how else to say that. Uh, <laughs> if you could give them three more recommendations based off of that, what would you say?
2: Ooh, based on based on their enjoying Daniel Johnston? Yes. Ooh. Oh, man, see, that's, that's kind of tough. Um... Because
0: You see it in older, like, print media where they would be like, if you liked this album, you may also yeah. like...
2: It's tough to say because what am I recommending about Daniel? Am I recommending... This This is more of a rhetorical question. Am I recommending his sound as in his weird kind of playing a chord organ in the, in the basement sound? Or am I recommending more on the spirit of what he did? I, I guess I would have to say, like, Mountain Goats would come to mind pretty easy. You guys have, you know, probably heard Mountain Goats. But Mountain Goats, if you want that kind of singer songwritery thing, um, maybe even, like, Moondog. Uh, if anyone's heard Moondog, uh, he was, like, a... He was a Viking that stood on the corner, I think, in California and played street music and was pretty notable for that. Uh, Moondog is, is just fantastic. And, um, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe the Beatles... Even Daniel loved the Beatles. He was all about the Beatles. He wanted to be the Beatles. In, in his mind, he kind of was the Beatles. So, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe uh, you know, go to listen to Daniel and then go and listen to the Beatles with a kind of a fresh mind. And I don't know, maybe just think, find something different there. It's tough because Daniel, there's a lot of different energies kind of floating around in his music, and it's 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 a little tough to make recommendations on that because you're always gonna you're gonna pigeonhole something about his style. That's fair. Also, maybe... I don't know. I always recommend Lightning Bolt, but that's neither here nor there because it has nothing to do with Daniel Johnston. I just love Lightning Bolt.
0: <laughs> it's like the person who recommends Fugazi for every single band that somebody listens to. Yep.
2: Yep.
0: So, Glitch, you make your own music under the name Cowbunga Breakfast and cover Daniel Johnston a lot.
2: I have always... Um, I've always covered Daniel. Actually, um... Casper the Ghost was actually, I think, the first cover, like solo acoustic cover that I ever learned myself, and it's always just kind of been one uh, in my pocket. But I do stream on Twitch. I stream Kaizo, Super Mario, or a colloquial term for very, very difficult Mario World ROM hacks and level creations. And I'm on Twitch, I'm on Twitter, and I'm all on YouTube a little bit, too. And uh, Calbunga Breakfast is the band camp for my music, which I have been doing since... 2011 as my own solo project. So, eight years of breakfast now.
0: Cowabunga Breakfast on Bandcamp. And it's twitch.tv slash glitchcat7. Twitter, I believe, is twitter.com slash glitchcat7. And, uh, uh, yeah. Go follow him on all the things. Glitch is a good dude. Uh, and, like, yeah. Go, go throw your money at him. He makes his money doing streaming, and so, like, if you want a solid dude to be able to eat food go pay him money. Go pay him money to eat food. Thank you. Not on stream. That would be a weird stream. <laughs> I'm Dan Ellis. I'm on Twitter at Small Mulligan, and you can find the show at Mindful Self Pod. I also just started a new show with my buddy Mark at Rachel Grade Orbit Radio, of which our show is now a part of that network. Uh, that show is called The Third One Sucks, and it's where me and Mark rate every movie in a franchise from first to worst. And you should check that out, too. It's on Twitter at The Third One Sucks, and it's working on being rolled out to all the other platforms but yeah so Glitch has agreed to do a a cover of a daniel johnston song for us so uh go ahead and tell us what you're going to be singing and then you can launch into it whenever you're ready
2: this is a song uh that daniel played i believe at a festival in austin in the mid 80s i live my broken dream <laughs>
0: is a retrograde orbit radio production if you like the show tell your friends and make sure to rate and review it on your podcast platform of choice for more from the retrograde orbit radio family check out retrogradeorbitradio.com
2: hello i am big stream guy and i here to tell you a music guy thing Kids want to know a story about old Dan Johnson? Well, I got the goods for you. Why don't you settle on down here and get all comfy and we'll tell you up a tale. Oh, boy.